When women go through hormone change, what can do to our sleep? How can food help out our sleep? So today we have Margot Whitwin, a functional medicine dietitian, a hormone therapy coach, and the co-owner of Perfectly Portioned Wellness. Let's listen to her wisdom on this topic. Before the interview, I want to thank you, all my listeners. I'm now offering a twenty percent off coupon for my insomnia course. If you have trouble sleeping, check out the course at deepintosleep.co/insomnia, and the coupon code is deepintosleep2022. Hi, Margot. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. Hi. Thank you. So glad to have you. I know we're going to talk about something slightly different today that no one else have talked about.、Um, before we start, how about you introduce yourself to our audience first? Okay, perfect. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for having me.、Uh, I've been looking forward to to joining your podcast, and this is、uh, just something that I'm excited to be a part. But yes,、um, so to kind of tell a little bit about myself and、uh, what I do exactly,、uh, my name is Margot Wittavine. I am a registered dietitian, but I practice functional medicine, and what that means is we look at the mind, body, and spirit when we look at a person as a whole. And so we try to take a systems approach. So instead of just looking at the classic way, would be just looking at food and nutrition or calories or exercise. I actually like to look at all of the systems, meaning what is our stress doing? How are you sleeping? What types of physical activity that are you par- participating in? And also nutrition. But what we have specifically. Are starting to really focus on is looking at hormone health, particularly for women, because we find that this is a space that, unfortunately, is very misunderstood, and a lot of women aren't listened to. And so that is something that we pride ourselves on: is really listening to our clients, making sure that they're heard. Because a lot of times, the clients that we do receive, they have gone to all these specialists. And we're they're looking for someone to listen to their story, help them connect the dots, and hopefully just validate their symptoms that they are really feeling this way, even though their doctors may be saying everything looks normal. So that is kind of what we do. I almost look at us as like a health strategist, and so I try to put some pieces together. And if I need to refer them out, whether it's to talk to somebody about sleep, or if it's to get therapy, or if it's acupuncture. Or if it's just participating in activities of enjoyment to help release stress, those are all of the things that we do in our practice. Wow, that's really cool. You know, I really feel like no matter in what health field, especially in the sleep field, women's sleep health and health in general possibly are not talked about as much. Right? I just came back from the sleep conference, which is the largest sleep conference across America、uh, once a year. They have several panels, really just target on gender difference and especially dig into women's sleep health and sounds like the challenge, the treatment is very unique. And how, like you said, how providers react to women's complaints about their health and their sleep health is. Uh, very different too, and there are some invalidations out there. There are some lack of knowledge, lack of research science out there. Absolutely, absolutely, and I'm I'm glad to hear that on a national level that this is actually starting to be addressed. I don't know if this was new for you that this is something you hadn't seen before. So that actually gives me hope and promise that 
we are starting to look at gender differences. And, um, you know, when women don't sleep well, I mean, if we want to talk about very typical gender roles, if we want to go into more of what, you know, uh, more of a heterosexual typical gender role, you know, women tend to be caretakers. They tend to worry about all of the little things. Um, you know, we really cover so many facets of the role in the home, if you will, and sleep and there, there are real gender differences. And so when we don't sleep well, there's other things that also put us at risk for. So lack of, you know, lack of sleep can lead to, first of all, increasing your risk of chronic disease. So that could be diabetes. It could be cardiovascular health. It could be lots of things. And one of the main things is also brain health. As I tell you this, I know, you know this, but I'm not sure how much the audience knows, but when we don't sleep well, we don't get that little sweeping of the brain that happens at night. It's kind of like a cleanup system. And when that accumulates over time, that unfortunately, you know, leads to things like mild cognitive impairment, dementia, and Alzheimer's later in life. And so it's really important that we take action now in our 20s, 30s, and 40s, but making sure that we're sleeping well and that that's being addressed in an appropriate way because it does put us at risk for other chronic conditions, which at this point in time, we have no cure for Alzheimer's or dementia. I mean, we have very little medications. There's very little things that we can do. And unfortunately, also women are disproportionately diagnosed with, with Alzheimer's and dementia as, as we get older. And particularly our risk for dementia and Alzheimer's goes up considerably after menopause. And so there's some sort of protective effect with estrogen that we don't get after menopause. There's like that huge drop in estrogen that happens after menopause. So there's some sort of neuroprotection that occurs that, that we don't get. Right, right. And before we dive in further, I just want to remind all the um, audience, even if you are male, right? Remember, if um, a woman cannot sleep well in a household, uh, that's going to impact partner's sleep as well. It's going to impact the mood. It's going to impact the interaction with the whole family. So even though today we are talking about women's sleep health and uh, health in general, I think it's really important because it connects with every single other piece in our daily life. Absolutely. This is something that it has to be addressed as a family as a whole. Absolutely. And that that support from your partner needs to be there. Yeah. And talking about what you just mentioned, I think uh, I just want to remind the audience some, some data, like from sleep science point of view, we, we already know women actually have like women's risk of developing uh, symptoms of insomnia actually are double, like twice as mm. often as men, right? We don't know why, but possibly related to a lot of factors you just mentioned. Also, like menopause, you talk about, I know menopause brings a lot of challenges to sleep health in general, which is going to relate to other aspects of health. I know a lot of women also during pregnancy and menopause, these two big life transitions, the chance of developing symptoms of sleep apnea also mm. going to increase because that's going to change our airway in a certain way. So I think, you know, as hormone change, as the age change, there's a lot of things happening in our body going to impact our sleep. And now there's a lot of research already connecting the sleep 
poor sleep quality with future risk of developing like um, dementia and other neurocognitive disorders. So it's not causal effects yet, but the, the correlation is high and it's enough for us to be cautious about it. Definitely. Definitely. I guess where I'm going with this is that as, as we relate it to sleep is that we need to have an awareness and not just an acceptance of muddling through our day, you know, and, and if sleep, like you were saying, if insomnia is twice as likely to develop in women, then we need to address that and, and figure out what's going on. And it needs to be addressed in a multimodal way, which is, which is my favorite approach. I love to look at things at multiple angles, whether it's stress or, or maybe it's um, not getting enough sleep. So one of the things that I don't think that we talked about that we were talking about before we, we started talking is that one of the biggest things that we can do to help with sleep is making sure that you're balancing your blood sugars and that you're not having these dips and up and down. And so what does that mean? And what can that look like for somebody? Well, it can be for somebody that doesn't have diabetes or doesn't have a diagnosis, this can just be for the average person. And so what I always recommend is first, let's get a starting point of what your blood sugar is doing and what does that look like? So first of all, some general questions that you can just kind of be almost a scientist for yourself, an observer is what I say. Ask yourself several questions as you go throughout your day, as you go through your meetings or you know, if you exercise or what you're eating, what I want you to start doing is reflecting on how you feel after you eat. And sometimes these symptoms can be very subtle. I, I always say that the body, if you listen to it, it will speak to you subtly. Unfortunately, we tend to only listen to our bodies when it's screaming at us, when it's, it's, it's telling us something is, is wrong and you almost can't function in your day. But if you really listen to your body, it will give you subtle clues. So some of these subtle clues are number one, do you feel like you need to take a nap two hours after eating? If you need to take a nap two hours after eating, I want you to kind of reflect back on what food you ate. Do you feel that you can't go three to four hours without eating? If you feel you almost get that, what we call hangry, that's our joke. It's hungry and angry at the same time. If you feel this hanger feeling, it's important that you look back and think, okay, what did I eat? Do you get shaky sometimes? And also some other symptoms that I find that are good to look at is when um, I have some of my clients come to me and say, you know, I have a lot of anxiety. And sometimes if we just balance their blood sugar, their anxiety resolves because really what they're feeling is more anxious feelings that are related to blood sugar dips versus actually true anxiety. So those are just the subtle clues, subtle things that you can look into. So let's say you do notice that you ate something and two hours later, you start feeling like you really need to take a nap. You're feeling very sleepy. The four things that I always want you to make sure that you have on your plate is you want to always have protein, whether that's animal protein or plant-based protein, have a healthy fat. And that healthy fat can come in many ways. It can come in from olive oil, it can be nuts and seeds. It can be avocado. It can be um, any sort of healthy fat. It can be a nut butter. Those are some of the common things. And then make sure that you're having what I call fibrous carbs. So things that have a lot of fiber that are going to help you lower that blood sugar and keep that blood sugar balanced. So those can be in the forms of sweet potato. It can be brown rice. It can be beans or lentils, anything like that. So making sure that you have what I call, I call it a balanced plate essentially. So making sure that you have these components on your plate. And then what you can do is start playing around with those proportions. And if I want to take it to hormone balance, and, and if I'm speaking to the women in our audience, 
tracking your cycles, you know, zero to 14 is what we call our luteal phase. You may find that you tolerate more higher carbohydrates. You tend to have more energy. You tend to actually sleep better. You tend to feel better. And then when we get to those days of 15 to 28, if we're talking about a regular cycle, you may find that you need more fat and a little bit less carbs and your blood sugar may be more out of balance. And that just helps you understand what your body needs during different times of the month. And then let's bring this back to sleep. When you are balancing your blood sugar and you're feeding your body foods that it needs throughout the month, you're actually going to be able to sleep better because you're not going to be having these ups and downs and these dips, and you're not going to be having these anxious feelings. That's so interesting. Actually, over the past several years, one uh, lifestyle change I made for myself is exactly what you mentioned to double check my food. Because I do notice this blood sugar caused, we, we call in sleep, call it afternoon dip, right? This okay. is very strong for me. And okay. I, for my clinical work, I have to see patients in the afternoon. And I find years ago, I find myself feel so sleepy after lunch. And I would yawn uncontrollably when I see patients, which was awful. So I eventually went to see a dietitian. I believe I, I cannot tell apart nutritionist or dietitian, but someone trained in field like, like you and helped me just did a little bit adjustment on my food to teach me something like you said, avoid uh, white rice, right? Avoid uh, some, some like um, uh, wheat or um, flour during noontime to really help my dip to be lighter, to help my uh, blood sugar level to be more stable. So I find myself become more energetic, less sleepy in the afternoon. So that definitely I still feel the afternoon dip, which is a very common phenomenon, but it impact me less and I'm able to function better. So I'm definitely a strong believer for what you mentioned, but I just don't know adjusting that can help people sleep better at night. I only know help me nap less. Yeah. More energetic in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. So what you can experiment with is you can see. So again, this would be something that this is almost a self-assessment on, on the individual. Some people do need a little bit of a snack late at night. Some do. I don't want to say this works for everybody. But some people do need um, just maybe a healthy fat and a protein. So I'll give you a very, a very classic, simple example could be slice, sliced apples and peanut butter. Easy to digest. It's going to give you sustained energy. Is it going to make you feel bad? So those are some of the things that you can start to experiment with. What I find is it's so individualized that, you know, it's hard to say what would work for one person is going to work for the other. So I really take a deep dive and work with the individual. So those are the things that you could experiment with. Also kind of take a look at when you're eating dinner. Um, another thing that could also be affecting your blood that could be not blood sugar related, but might be affecting your sleep is what time you're eating dinner. If you're eating dinner and then you're going to sleep sort of, you know, within one or two hours, Your body needs time, what we call rest and digest. Your body really doesn't need to be working on digestion. Digestion is actually quite taxing on the body. And what we don't want it doing is trying to sleep 
and digest at the same time. So also just adjusting the time that you eat before you go to bed. That's a, that's a bit, one of my favorites is try not to eat three hours before bedtime. But then I have a few clients that they still have issues with sleeping. And so then what we do is we implement maybe like a snack before, like an hour before bedtime. And again, it might just be that classic example of couple, you know, half of an apple with a tablespoon of peanut butter could be just as simple as that to help them come through because it could just be a blood sugar dip. But again, it's trial and error to see if that's going to work for that individual. Oh, talk about that. Uh, I do get a lot of questions from my insomnia patients. They want to know, right, if if there's really any snacks at night can help people sleep better. Because, you know, for people with insomnia, they try to find whatever way magically put them to sleep. And there are a lot of myths out there, like drink a warm milk. Does that work? I got that question a lot. I was like, I'm not a dietitian. I cannot really answer that question. <laughs> right. <laughs> it not work for me personally. I don't know whether it works for other people. Then I then I want to ask you, right? Some some of those myths, are they really a myth or they are actually facts? Or is there anything you would recommend? Yes. Um, I think that's a great question. I think things like warm milk or hot tea, I think that's more of a ritual. It's the ritual of drinking something warm. We we tend to create these nighttime routines that are, are great. And, and I don't want anybody to stop doing these nighttime routines, but I believe those nighttime routines more be having a placebo effect in some than actually working for that individual. What I find honestly, what works the best for people, so not necessarily food, um, magnesium has been something, if we're going to talk about food, maybe more of a supplement, magnesium has worked for many people to help them with sleep. Now with somebody with true insomnia, it may not be strong enough, but I do love the supplement called Calm. You may have been familiar with it, or maybe your audience is familiar with it. It's calm. It's a magnesium supplement. Magnesium is nature's original chill pill. That's our joke. And so it really helps with inducing muscle relaxation. It's like an electric light, like your sodium, your potassium, they're like your spark plugs of the body. And it really does help calm the body. So if you are somebody that has even just little muscle aches and pains, it's going to help with that muscle relaxation. So I recommend experimenting with something called Calm and they have them in different flavors such as orange or strawberry lemonade. It doesn't have any sugar. It's not going to affect anything. And you can try to have something like that at night or even throughout your day. But to answer your original question, there isn't a real food that is going to help with somebody with insomnia at night. There just isn't. Um, now there may be a ritual that helps them that they feel that if I drink this, then I will sleep. And I believe that's more of a placebo effect, but there isn't an actual real food. Magnesium is probably one of the closest things that we can get to. And that really, you would take that in a supplement form, but what I find, and, and maybe you can speak to this as well is is to reset your circadian rhythm. And that is really what I focus on is, is resetting that circadian rhythm. So Trying to get movement within the first two hours of your day is trying to move the body. And then also trying to get sunlight into your first two hours of the day. It's, you know, depending on the time of year, where you live and your climate. But if you can try to actually have sunlight hit, get into your eyes and hit there's a specific part of your brain and really try to work on resetting circadian rhythms, that is part of it. But I also think that for people that do have insomnia, I think there's also the fear of not being able to sleep. It's probably 
might be what takes over. There's this like pre-anxiety of I'm not going to sleep tonight. I hope I don't sleep tonight. What, what do I do if I don't sleep tonight? It, it's probably a multi multifactorial, but unfortunately things like warm milk or, you know, having Turkey, as they say, I mean, tryptophan does have some, you know, some sleep inducing qualities, but not enough for somebody that has true insomnia, but one of the things that you can start with is taking um, a magnesium supplement and there's d- many, many different forms, but calm is one of my favorites because you can titrate it to help you find your perfect dose. And then to try to get some movement in your first two hours of the day, whether that's an, a walk, it could be a 10 or 15 minute walk in the morning. It can be gentle stretching. It can be, you know, movement, but trying to go to bed at the same time every morning and every day. But no, unfortunately there, there just really isn't right now. I really like what you said. I think you touched on so many important points that, uh, yes, I think nighttime ritual is important, but really whatever we do before bedtime, right? It possibly Mm -hmm. serve more a psychological function than other functions. And psychological functions are important. It could help us to sleep. It could stop us from sleeping. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. Even the mechanism you mentioned, I think it's similar to melatonin, similar to any other meditation, relaxation exercise people do before bedtime is something really could assist you if you don't focus on it too much. If it's just a routine, may work, may not work, may work for you one day, may not work for you another day. But when we psychologically dependent on that so much, no matter what, right, then that can cause a lot of anxiety. If that day, for any other reasons, cognitively, you are so blocked, you are so nervous, none of this is going to calm you down and relax you enough, and you're just going to have a bad night of sleep. The more anxious you are, the more psychologically dependent you are on any of this, I think the sleep problem is still going to be there. But if if all, all of us can be more chill, then it can help our brain to build a healthier connection between this sleep is, right? Uh, or any of the subjects we are taking with sleep. So this kind of strong brain association could eventually, I think it's um, important dosage for sleep to happen naturally. But I like also, I like what you mentioned in the morning, what you can do, because that really tell us no matter from a sleep point of view or diet point of view, like from different angle to look at sleep, to look at the health, it's not just a nighttime thing. You need to do a lot during the daytime, even start with the early morning, right? Depends on what you eat, what you do throughout the day, and that's going to impact your sleep at night. So if you just live your life in a very unhealthy way all day long, and you expect you're going to sleep magically like a baby, or some psychologists recently talk about it should be sleep like a dog, not a baby. It's true, actually. <laughs> yes. You want to sleep as, as soundly as a dog at mm-hmm. night, right? Yeah. You should not just do something one hour before bed. You need to make changes throughout your day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and to kind of put a finer point on what you're saying, I always, you know, whenever I address sleep with my clients and I'm trying to figure out, okay, because I, first of all, I always ask them, you know, that's part of my assessment is I need to know what your sleep is like, because this is so important in looking at the overall picture of, of our health. And I always say getting good sleep doesn't start at night. It starts when you first wake up. That is what's going to ensure you for good sleep. So we, we have to change 
how we think about what does getting good sleep, because like you said, we tend to focus so much on these nighttime rituals when really it starts when you first wake up in the morning. So I always encourage my clients if sleep is a challenge for them and, and particularly with my women that are perimenopause and menopause, I know there's something hormonally there that we haven't quite gotten a handle on yet as to how to help our women out there. So again, something hormonally, but I always say, you know, try to just keep your, your bedtime the same and your wake the same as much as you can. I know life gets in the way and things happen and we travel or we have events or things that, that go on. But if you can try to keep that same set circadian rhythm going, I think that will help also just to kind of take another broader look at this. And I'd love to hear your point of view is I do think there's a bit of a mismatch in our biology and DNA. We have had such rapid changes in our lifestyle over the past 50, probably even 30 years than probably the previous hundred years. We have so much more reliance on technology. We, we don't go to bed with the earth's natural rhythm and wake up with the earth's natural rhythm. We stay up much later because we have artificial lighting. And then of course we could talk about all the streaming and Netflix and Hulu and whatever. I don't know what that is doing for the long-term as far as what sort of our ancient DNA evolutionary speaking is, is really happening. And, and, and I think we're just kind of beginning to discover how this mismatch in biology and technology is really affecting us in the long term. And I, and I think we're just kind of tapping into it. Right. I totally agree that um, our lifestyle has changed so fast. I think our biological body is not really keeping up. And this kind of technology development, I think in a way is against what our body is used to and uh, the natural way of sleeping, right? I think maybe that's why nowadays more and more uh, sleep problems are emerging and more people need really extra help, professional help to be able to sleep. And but thinking about the professional help, when, when I treat patients with insomnia, when I have people sleep better, I really, just to help them go back to the natural way to learn how to sleep naturally again. I'm not giving people some magical pills or magical equipment to put them to sleep. So in a way, it's to help people learn how to shield away those technologies, those lights, mind stimulants, right? To help them block those for a period of time to calm down our mind, calm down our body, and then prepare the body to be able to sleep naturally. Eventually, what we do as a professional like sleep experts is really to help people reconnect with the biology, with the body. It's not to add something to it. Yeah. And I love that. That absolutely resonates with me. That is really what I feel. I mean, I even in my household, we dim the lights you know, I try to dim the lights. I try to have less stimulation. Just try to, like you said, reconnect to what our bodies really are because technology has sort of exploded on a, and it, it's happening almost to us. We're, we're not even aware of it. And then all of a sudden we have a problem where we can't sleep or, you know, we could talk about diets and, and all those other things that we're just like, how did this happen to us? And it's really about reconnecting. And there is a movement towards that. And I, and I do think that 
more of us are going to be moving in that direction, but it is gotten away from us in a way. And, and technology has a great place for it. I love it in certain, in certain circumstances, but our bodies, I do think there's this mis- mismatch with our DNA and biology and with the technology that is really happening to us. And we're, we're almost passive to it. We're just kind of letting it happen. And you do have to set very firm boundaries and you have to, you have to do that. It, it's not going to happen on its own. Unfortunately, you have to be very firm in your boundaries, whether that's, you know, you know, turning off notifications on your phone, putting your phone on silent, you know, being firm with, you know, I'm not going to engage in this certain behavior. It's, it's a behavior change really in the end is what we're looking at. Right. And I want to add what you do as a dietitian, right? I feel like, yes, we need to disengage some behaviors at night, but engage in some behaviors during the day, including eating certain things or change your diet in a certain way. That needs quite some motivation, engagement to be willing to do that. It's not easy to give up certain like carbs for myself. The hardest battle is to give up Coke, right? Yeah. Still have them stocked. Coke is hard. Far away yeah. from me. But thankfully, <laughs> it's my like <laughs> treats. Yeah, yeah. No, Coke is one of the hardest ones. I, I, it's funny you said that because Coke is one of the hardest things. So one of the big things that I do is, um, you know, balancing blood sugar is, is one of the, the main things it's, it's part of, so we, we focus on four pillars of health, especially when I'm talking about hormone balance. And, and as you know, the, the, you were part of our, our sleep talk, but, you know, focusing on stress and nutrition and physical activity. And, but I want to touch on what we do with the nutrition. So uh, under the umbrella, if you will, of nutrition is going to be, I'm always going to focus on balancing blood sugars, because I think we all need tweaks in our diets with that, because again, that's going to help us feel good. It's going to help fight that afternoon fatigue, the brain fog. And then of course, ultimately help us sleep better. But I'm also going to be looking at different pathways, making sure we're supporting our liver and making sure that detoxification is happening the way it needs to be. And I'm not talking about some juice cleanse or fasting. I'm really just talking about eating more foods like that have like cruciferous vegetables is a really good at detoxifying our liver. They help remove excess estrogen from our body. So it's like broccoli, cauliflower, kale, Brussels sprouts, bok choy, anything in that cruciferous vegetable family is really good for our body. So I actually recommend eating it about five times a week. And then of course, making sure our guts are doing what they're supposed to be doing. There's a lot of research too, looking at the gut microbiome, not only on, you know, and our overall influence on health, but our influence on sleep, our influence on weight and metabolism, cardiovascular health, or hormones. It's amazing the research that is looking at gut health connection and making sure that we're supporting that biodiversity that happens in our guts. And that's coming from removing certain foods that are not going to feed our gut microbiome and aren't going to make us feel better. I, I have to say, and as you said, it is very difficult. So I, I do want to, I don't want to make, make this sound like all of these things are easy and they happen overnight. I actually like to tell my clients, give themselves a year. Honestly, I say, let's, let's work on this for a year because lifestyle changes are complex and they're not easy. But when I have a client that is committed to it and they really move through the process, it is amazing how much better they feel. And, and what I always say is look at yourself in a month. Where do you want to be in a month? Look at yourself in three months. You may not be fully out of whatever condition we're working on, 
But if you can see some improvements, that is the intrinsic motivation. And when they see those improvements, it just continues to help them. And they are almost like different people from a year from when we start together a year later, because we have worked on so many different things in the body to help really truly get them back on their health and, and sleep when they are sleeping. Well, I mean, it's like, everything is great. (laughs) I'll tell you that. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. People would love the right to to spend whatever they have to get a good night of sleep if they've been struggling for a while and to be healthy also. That's so important. So I really admire what you do. And all these are important. I feel like time is limited, but I really want to get you back to the show in the future. Talk about other questions people often ask me that uh, keto diet, intermediate oh, fasting, yes. all those are very interesting topic. A lot of people mm-hmm. want to know how that relates to sleep and the macro, uh, the gut microbiome, uh, how that impacts our health and sleep. You just talk about one of my colleagues from Stanford, Dr. Blom, actually has some projects going on with other professors in Stanford. And that's definitely the first time I ever heard about that is from his lecture years ago within Stanford. I was like, oh, this is so interesting. (laughs) After I learn more about that uh, later, maybe I will invite him to the show to talk about that further. Oh, yeah. And I would love to tune in and listen to that. I'm always fascinated by how our gut health and and I and I feel like we talk a lot about and it and it's kind of made its way into the, the the wellness trend, but it's really not. There's it's rooted in science. It exists. Our gut, the microbes in our gut, influence pretty much everything in our body. From sleep, past trauma actually can affect the gut microbiome, and that's also what is having. You know, people can have certain effects. So it's making sure that they are addressing any trauma that they might have experienced because that also alters your gut microbiome. So there's so many things that we do. We have to understand that our it's a symbiotic relationship in a way. You know, the gut have a place to live. They can proliferate. It's like we house them, but then we also reap benefits from them that help us keep as healthy and kind of humming along and, and just living a vital and thriving life, which is what we really all want in the end. Yeah, this is great. So Margo, thank you for sharing all this with us. If our audience are interested in your program, right, or your service, how can they find you? Sure. Uh, our website is perfectlyportionedwellness.com. And um, we are in the process of updating a lot of things. We're going to be having some free guides. We're going to be offering some more programs. But if you're interested in working with us one-on-one, just go to our private coaching page and it tells you all about the packages that we offer. And as always, you can just send us an email or you can send it directly to me. Uh, I love hearing from anybody if they have a question or really want to know something different um, or or something very specific. So you can also email me at Margo and that's M-A-R-G-O-T at perfectlyportionedwellness.com. So feel free to just send me an email. Great. Yeah. I will put all this information on our show notes and underneath the show. So everyone who listen will have easy access to all this information you mentioned. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Any last wisdom you want to share with anyone who are listening, struggling with, you know, nutrition, their lifestyle, I'm not sure where to start. Oh yeah. You know, I think one of the best places to start is giving yourself self-compassion. Clients come to me. I almost want to say they're almost, they've been beaten down in a way they're, 
they're exhausted, they're stressed, they're, they, they feel that they have nowhere to turn. And I, and I want to say that you are probably doing more work than you're giving yourself credit for. And when you reach out to a professional, you should honestly just really give yourself a pat on the back and know that that is the, one of the best first steps that you can do is acknowledging that something is going on that you need help with and reaching out to a professional and try to avoid a lot of the noise out there in the wellness world. Unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation and half-truths and really seek out a professional to really find out what is work, what is going to work for you and to try to ignore a lot of the noise and just give yourself a pat on the back and practice self-compassion. That will take you so far. Yeah, I love that. You know, we all have compassion to other people around us. Do we have compassion to ourselves, right? Not mm-hmm. enough, possibly for most people. So that's uh, definitely a key point to take away for whoever are listening out there. Thank you so much, Margo. Yes, thank you again. Thank you for listening. I hope you really enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. If you do enjoy it, please consider leaving an honest review for my show. Reviews can really help this podcast grow and reach out to more audience. If you want to subscribe our Deep Into Sleep newsletter, please go to the link at deepintosleep.co forward slash sleep. Thank you for listening. This is Dr. Yishan. I will see you next time. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk, and our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed.